the week Luke went missing, um, you know, I was reaching out to people. I was kind of like, in a sense, lost. Like I, I felt like deep inside, I felt like I was all alone here, uh, looking for my son. It's, it's hard to describe how it's affected our family. You know, there's no script written up on a family that has a missing child. Each and every one of us and the family deal with it differently. I might sound like the strongest in the family that deals with this, but actually I'm not. Hello, listeners. We're Shedding Light, and I'm Candy. I'm Angela. And I'm Susie. And we're hell-bent on shedding light on unsolved missing persons cases across Canada. In an attempt to find the missing piece of the puzzle. What you are about to listen to is the culmination of countless hours of research. In an attempt to gather as many facts as possible about the case by reading news articles, online blogs and forums, and by interviewing friends, family, and people involved in Luke's case. We will discuss different theories and possibilities and pick them apart in order to evaluate their likelihood, or better yet, eliminate them. We weren't there. We don't claim to know what happened. We can only try to paint a picture using the resources that we do have. We don't claim anything to be fact that isn't. We don't claim our interviewees' words to be fact. It's their memory. It's their recollection. It's their truth. And it's their opinion. And everybody's entitled to one. That does not mean we necessarily share any of these opinions. And listeners, please remember, everyone, including the suspects, is presumed innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Please bear that in mind as we welcome you to Season 2, Episode 1, The Disappearance of Luke Jolly DeRoger. Just a heads up that there is some foul language and adult content in here. Listener discretion is advised. Luke Jolly DeRoche disappeared without a trace from North Bay, Ontario on March 5, 2011. Luke is described as a white male with black hair, brown eyes, 5 feet 8 inches tall, approximately 150 pounds, with a thin, slender build and with braces on his upper teeth. It is noted he was rarely clean-shaven and such was the case when he went missing. Luke was wearing a dark navy American Eagle jacket dark blue jeans, and an old pair of New Balance black running shoes with green stitching. It is also believed that he was wearing a purple belt with metal rivets or studs. Luke was from Temiskaming, Quebec, a small town on the Ontario-Quebec border about an hour northeast of North Bay and located at the south end of Lake Temiskaming and not far from Lake Kippewa. Luke was in North Bay visiting friends for the weekend when he went missing. A group of them were staying at 683 Sherbrooke Street in North Bay. The group partied for a few hours at the apartment, then shortly before midnight, they headed out, presumably on foot, to a bar about five blocks away on the corners of Main and Wild Streets. 
There are video still shots available of Luke in line just inside the front door at Cecil's Eatery and Beer Society with three of his male friends. Luke was last in line. His three friends proceeded into the bar area. From all accounts, it looks as though he is being turned away at the door by the door security, and this is what the public police reports state, that Luke was turned away for being too intoxicated. As he leaves the establishment, he turns to his left upon exiting the door, only to quickly realize there is a railing on the balcony blocking his exit. He then turns right and walks down the stairs to the sidewalk in front of the establishment. It's 11.54 p.m., and that was the last time his friends are reported to have seen him. From here on in, Luke's actions are not clear. Surveillance footage at a nearby bank captured cutoff images of a man believed to be Luke entering the bank, followed by another unidentified man. And for eight years, that was Luke's last reported sighting. Anyone with information regarding the disappearance of Luke Jolly DeRoche is asked to contact the Director of the Criminal Investigation Services, Ontario Provincial Police at 1-888-301-1122 or 705-329-6111, the Investigative Support Section of the North Bay Police Service at 705-497-5555. or their nearest police authority. Should you wish to remain anonymous, you may contact Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477, where you may be eligible to collect up to a $2,000 cash reward. Luke had texted his dad at 8.51 p.m. on the evening of Friday, the 4th of March, the night he went missing. And that was the last time his family had heard from him. Luke's family tried to reach him Saturday morning, March 5th, as it was his younger sister's birthday, but there was no answer on his cell. His father and sister wanted to drive to North Bay to look for him, but a blizzard prevented them from doing so. Apparently, it snowed for 24 hours, and 10 to 12 inches of snow fell that weekend. Even if they had made it to North Bay, they realized they didn't have the Sherbrooke Street address where Luke was staying. Sunday, March 6th, was his sister Sarah's birthday celebration, but there was no sign of Luke. Luke's mom drove to North Bay on Sunday and went to the address that she had learned he was staying on Friday night. She was let into the apartment by the friends that had remained there, and she discovered a typical scene of the aftermath of a weekend of partying. Amongst the disarray, she spotted Luke's jacket, cell phone, and glasses, and immediately called the police to report Luke's missing. Upon police arrival, the group of friends was ushered to the police station for statements. Monday morning, the family again checked Luke's apartment, only to find his cat, Yoshi, was scared and hungry, but still no sign of Luke. On March 15th, Luke's bank card was found in the 500 block of Sherbrooke Street by a pedestrian. The account had not been accessed since the day he went missing when he withdrew $20. The time of this transaction is reported as 2.30 p.m. Police did not get a warrant to search the Sherbrooke Street apartment until late April, six weeks later. It is unknown at this time what they actually found. 
Fast forward to March 4th, 2016, the fifth anniversary of Luke's disappearance. The North Bay Police Service, with the assistance of the Ontario Provincial Police and the Ministry of Community Safety and Correctional Services, announced that they were now offering a reward up to $50,000 to anybody who comes forward with information concerning the person or persons responsible for Luke's disappearance. The announcement was made during an emotional media conference at North Bay Police Headquarters. Luke's parents and two sisters were present for the announcement. Luke's sister Sarah spoke. We're so desperate for answers. That's all I want is answers. Luke's mother, Manik, spoke. There is not one day that passes by that I don't think of my son, she said. I always wonder, where are you, Luke? When are you coming home? Mama loves you. Luke's father, Rob Jolie, said he believes there is someone in the community that has information about his son and hopes the increased reward will encourage them to come forward. On October 8, 2019, after eight years of investigation, the North Bay Police Service made the announcement that they could now confirm the last sighting of Luke Jolly DeRoche was, in fact, at Shooter's Bar at the Voyager Inn, known as The Voy to locals. Detective Constable Dave Wilson of the North Bay Police Service stated, We are now certain that after he left Cecil's Bar downtown, he went to Shooter's Bar in the Voyager Inn, where he was observed socializing at the bar. And we are aware now that he later obtained a ride from at least one of the patrons there. North Bay Police Chief Scott Todd said the new information was a result of ongoing cooperation in this case by the Ontario Provincial Police Criminal Investigations Branch. Todd also stated that police believe Luke Jolly DeRoche met with foul play. So let's talk a little about Luke. From all accounts, he was a very likable guy. He was an avid hockey fan. He loved the Florida Panthers, actually. Apparently loved giving hugs. Wouldn't hurt a fly. Always had a smile on his face. He had a great appreciation for nature and the outdoors. He was an aspiring musician, both a guitarist and a singer-songwriter. And he self-taught himself on the piano through the internet. He was very tech-savvy, apparently. A few of his uh, favorite bands were Census Fail and Nirvana. I had never um, actually heard Census Fail, but there's a lovely tribute video that his family had uh, has composed for him where that song plays, and it just uh, it gets you. Like, you have to listen to it. And uh, Nirvana apparently was played over and over and over and over again. And he loved that band so much. And he loved Kurt Cobain so much that he wanted to uh, have his guitar switch to a left-hand guitar, according to his father. So he was uh, very, very into that band. And uh, he was also very fit and very fast. According to his father, Rob, he actually joked and said that Luke used to always push him and and go, hey, dad, catch me. See if you can catch me. And he said he'd take off like a bullet. And he's like, I could never catch him. Like, I could never catch him. He was very, very fit. Luke was very close to both of his parents, although they had separated years before. And his dad described him with loving intent to be more of a mama's boy because Luke was more interested in music and the arts and he was simply closer to his mom for those reasons, because he didn't share a lot of the same interests as his dad, such as hunting and mechanics and tools. Luke was 
closer. Like he was a mama's boy. We're Algonquin natives, and I'm a member of the uh, Kebowak Reserve here in Kippewa. Okay. So I have my status. I could fish and hunt pretty much whenever I want. And uh, Luke was never really was interested in stuff like that. He was more of a nature guy. And uh, he used to ask me, Dad, like, why do you, why do you kill birds? And he was a real sports fanatic and uh, a music lover. And Luke used to tell me, he says, Dad, someday my music's going to make me famous. And he uh-huh. never liked singing cover songs. He wrote his yeah. own lyrics. When Luke's parents separated years earlier, Luke moved in with his mother, Monique, from Kippewa to Temiskaming, Quebec. Then later on, got his own apartment in Temiskaming, which was still just a short drive from his dad's. And Luke's dad, Rob, last saw Luke the day before he went missing. They actually hugged and exchanged I love yous, and that was, uh, that was the last time his dad had actually physically seen him. Nice. He has such a fond, a fond memory because all too often you hear of people that have such regret because the last time they saw a loved one before they went missing, there was a, an altercation or an exchange of words. Mm-hmm. So I hope his dad holds that. I'm sure he does very close to his heart. Luke's sister Priscilla recalls finishing work at noon the day that Luke went missing. She stopped by his apartment, but the door was locked. His shoes were there, so she figured he must be in the shower, and she left. If only I would have known I would never see him again, I would have waited and begged him not to go to North Bay. And you'd never know. No. And we just have to think that way. You never know what tomorrow's going to bring. Well, like we always say, if only we all had the gift of foresight, right? Yeah. The North Bay Police Services have interviewed hundreds of witnesses and suspects and processed literally thousands of tips. Unfortunately, both the police and Luke's family have been led on many wild goose chases the past nine and a half years. Someone knows something. But it seems in the city of North Bay, Ontario, many people like to talk, but not all tell the truth. Actually, two women, both in 2013, were charged with providing false information relating to Luke's investigation. Two separate incidents, two separate women. They had sent police on these wild goose chases, expending their energy and time and resources for many, many months that could have been spent, obviously, looking for the right person. So that was really unfortunate. Well, it makes, heard... you, shake, makes you shake your head. Like, why the f- would you do yeah. this? Mm-hmm. Well, it's frustrating. Frustrating for the police and for the family because their resources are totally caught up for a long time and the court system, etc. And then when they end up being charged, unfortunately, really deters a lot of other people that may think they have valid evidence and they're afraid to come forward for fear of the same thing happening to them if if they're not 100% sure or it can't be proven. I'm sure it scares a lot of people away from coming forward. It is really unfortunate. I don't understand how somebody can be that cruel uh, to watch the family go through that. I just, I don't, I don't get it. I really don't. I don't know if it's for fame or what it's for or retaliation, but I just, I don't understand how I can put a family through that when they're already going through the worst possible thing in life. We've heard numerous rumors of people of questionable reputation looking for a moment in the spotlight. 
you know, others claiming that they know what happened to Luke. It's very, very difficult to weed rumor from fact because one never knows. <laughs> well, we've so, already so. been told a lot of stories from a lot of different people. And sometimes I think when people hear it so much, they believe it. Mm-hmm. So it may not be true, but you've heard it enough and you think that is fact. Mm-hmm. But it started off false at the beginning. So I think it's a, a lot of times I feel like people have true intentions. And like I said, uh, another time to you girls, there was a fella in, t- uh, in my hometown that had passed away. And by the very next day, the story about where he passed and how had completely changed. And I, I honestly don't think it was people with ill intent. It was uh, some facts that they knew about where he attended school and what he did and where he worked. And they got twisted. They got turned completely around. So I think that's the case. Sometimes there's a grain of truth. And then, like we've always said, there's like the telephone game. Somebody mentions something to you. You're telling it to a friend at a party. You have a couple of drinks. You throw something else in there by mistake or maybe to juice it up a bit with not really any ill intent. Doesn't sound like it's going to really change the story that much. Sounds a lot better if I tell it this way. And then they tell it to a friend and they tell it to a friend and then it's all over the city and it's completely mm-hmm. false. Or same <laughs> so story in different names, depending on who exactly the finger, right? Mm-hmm. So Luke's father works relentlessly to make sure that his son's story does not get forgotten. And Rob has erected billboards in numerous hotspot locations to keep Luke's story in the public eye. He also puts up missing posters constantly, especially in the Sherbrooke Street area where Luke disappeared. And sadly, the posters constantly get torn down, so he sometimes uses a ladder to affix them higher. Like, I just can't understand people doing that. that. I know. That is disgusting to to me. Why do you, why would you do that? Why? I think it happens mostly in the actual area um, near where he went missing. So that actual Sherbrooke Street area is where those posters seem to be removed all the time, which is really unfortunate. It's like, what? who's actually doing that? Is it some some cameras? I don't know. Is it a bit of a rough neighborhood? Uh, not particularly from what I've seen there, there could be, there's a lot of, um, older homes with apartments. So maybe some student rentals or, I, or I'm someone not. feeling guilty mm-hmm. and part of doesn't town. want to see it, you know, wants to kind of make Luke forgotten. Yeah. But mm-hmm. thank goodness for Rob. But yeah. Cameras would be an awesome way to catch those people. Wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. 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 And wouldn't you look bad on camera, taking down Luke's pictures, Yep. Uh, so Luke's dad, Rob, gets contacted regularly by people who want to share things they think are important in regards to Luke's disappearance. And I'm, I'm sure he gets a lot, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I think over the years, he, he doesn't put blinders on, but I think he just kind of filters it a little better now and learns that there are a lot of people with good intent, but there are some with very ill intent, which he's seen firsthand and his whole family's seen firsthand. So I think he, he takes everything with a grain of salt and he's probably more interested in names than he is anything else. Um, reluctantly, he does believe that his son has been murdered. He spends a lot of time in North Bay, the closest city, if you will, to Kippewa across the border. But imagine how difficult it must be for him and 
and his family wondering every day if you're going to pass by somebody or cross their paths or run into them at a store. Or it could be your son's killer or killers. How, how would you ever know? And, you know, these families that have to go through this and just be robbed of their life because their life changes on a dime and never have any answers. It, it kills me. It kills all of us. How, uh, I just, I don't know how, how they do it. I guess they get their strength from being the voice of their child. And that's what, that's what Rob has said. I am Luke's voice and I have to carry on because he, I, I need to be his voice for his story to continue. And he's so, so right in that. And just because he's an outspoken man and he, he's very vigilant, um, and very active in his son's case doesn't mean that Luke's mom or other family members are not as vigilant or caring. They're just choose to remain behind the scenes and well, we can and understand that. It, it's frightening too, right? When you know mm-hmm. a member of your family has been most likely murdered, it, it makes, especially females, I would be afraid to speak up. Right. And absolutely. So, Absolutely. You just don't want to draw attention to yourself and yeah. completely understand that and respect that for sure. And when you say, Susie, that, that Rob is Luke's voice, uh, we had a conversation about this the other day that so often when a family, a parent loses a child, they're heartbroken and and they can't go on because of that loss and that grief. But when you don't know what's happened to your child, you don't know the answers and your child is missing, you you can't even grieve. You can't grieve. You have one sole purpose in life and that's to find your child. So as brokenhearted as you are, you don't stop. You don't stop. You can't. You stay focused on on what you want to do. And I think uh, as a parent, I would too. I want to know what happened, where he is. Yeah. And that would be my focus until I found him. I and think um, that one thing that um, Luke's father did share with us is how alone he felt in the very beginning. Uh, just, you know, weeks after Luke went missing, he opened up a North Bay newspaper. And this went on for about a week. And uh, they had posted an article in the North Bay Nugget uh, on the second page about Luke's disappearance. And on the on the front page, it was titled, uh, you have a certain amount of time to get your fish huts off the ice in Calendar Bay. So I was so upset that I reached out to somebody at the North Bay Nugget and it just happened to be Jennifer. And I said, Jennifer, I said, you know what? My son's been missing from the city here for about a week now. And I said, the headlines in the paper is get your huts off the ice. Come on now. And I said, there's a, there's a little photo ID of my son on the second page. You know, I said, I need some help here. And you've got to put yourself in that position, how alone you'd feel. And he said, it felt so alone. I felt like I was the only one looking for my son. I didn't feel like anybody was going to help me. And it's just very, very sad. I know that the whole city, he feels now like he has the whole city support and that the, the entire family feels like the city's behind them. And I really, really hope that this will just shed some light. Yep. So what about Luke's friends he was with that night? 
We've interviewed two of the boys. They were both childhood friends of Luke's, and they also are both from the Kebowak First Nation that Rob, Luke's father, is a member of from Kippewa. Very nice young men and more than eager to share with us and share memories of their friend. He's very kind, very fun to be around. Uh, he always liked to make people laugh. Sometimes, you know, try to get on get on my nerves or a friend's nerves just to see a reaction, you know, like just a kid around. And uh, he definitely loved life. Um, he, was, uh, he was very humble. Um, like, just to let you guys know how he was, he was, like, very happy to, to have... Uh, I gave him my Walkman for his birthday. Um, we were just walking up the road one day, and uh, remember the CD Walkman back in the day? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was, there's an MP3 player out at the time they're, they're out at time but I gave him my CD Walkman he was so happy I guess anything with music he just loved music so he just put a, a good CD he liked him there and he just he, 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 he loved my, my my gift to him I guess going to his house too was very nostalgic uh, I still remember um, going there going hanging out the dock and the jumping board and um, you know just always hang, we were always at the house and, uh, you know, listening to music, showing each other music. It was mostly him showing us music. And to this day, I still listen to the same music. It, it still kind of hurts because, you know, it reminds me of him. But I feel like um, like that's what part of life is. If you don't feel anything, uh, you know, like it's, it's not worth living for, you know. like His favorite uh, band was Nirvana. Uh, I don't think I'll ever get sick of uh, Nirvana. Oh, hockey, yeah. Um, <laughs> he always kind of make fun of uh, his, his favorite hockey team was uh, Florida Panthers. <laughs> so I feel like we were just like kind of teasing him, like, why do you like the, the team like the furthest away from us? Like, it's pretty much like the furthest <laughs> you can go, you know? Like, everybody yeah. around here, like Ottawa, Toronto, or Montreal. But he's like, well, I just went to Disneyland or. Um, Disney World, whatever it's called, like in that we went to watch a game or something. It's like, and just he just loved, uh, loved Florida. <laughs> yeah, he always, always be like dead, dead last. So it'd be funny to make fun of him. <laughs> he had the, he had like the, the, the jersey and like uh, the hat and the, I think he might have the mug and uh, I don't know where his dad finds all the stuff for for gifts because. I don't ever see Florida stuff in the in the stores. I'm gonna say not too often, eh? Going down memory lane with Luke, so it's, yeah. uh, it's it's not hard to forget because it's, I mean it's, it's uh, I always remember everything about Luke, so it's it's pretty easy. Luke was so friendly, so kind, like a free spirit, mm-hmm. and it was so nice to hear that he really just kind of had no animosity against people he just seemed like that person that you just wanted to be around and and enjoy yep and we asked him was luke the kind of kid that when he had a few drinks into him did he get really annoying and belligerent like some people we know can be and he said no way Uh uh-uh he was he was happy-go-lucky. He loved to chat with people. He was a social butterfly. And when he was drinking, even more so, but far from annoying. So, I mean, that's probably one of the first things I thought of. You know, yeah, he wasn't a shit disturber. 
Yeah, it wasn't right. out. You yeah. know, some people get a few drinks in them. They're the toughest people in the world. They want to fight everybody. Yeah, not him. No, just what he was there for a good time. But then there's just, also the annoying people, right? The yeah. ones that it's like, yes. oh my god, shut up. <laughs> he doesn't sound. He doesn't sound. He just sounds like a happy kid that people yes. are more than happy to chat with. I think he was just like like they had referred to as very free spirited, very easygoing, very very likable, and I don't think confrontational at all. So there you have it. He, along with a few other friends, were staying in a basement apartment in a house on Sherbrooke Street, rented by one of his female friends and her boyfriend. He and a couple of friends were dropped off by a parent to help their friend move into the apartment. These young people all knew each other from school for the most part. There was also a female friend who was pregnant at the time who did not go out to the bar with the rest of the group. Also a female friend from Kippewa who had moved to Toronto and was back home visiting. She had brought her cousin, another young lady, along. In total, from all accounts shared with us, there were four males and four females in attendance. Uh, apparently, they carried on for the evening like typical 20-year-olds, drinking and partying. We were informed that Luke used his friend's computer, the young lady who lived in the Sherbrooke Street apartment, to send out a few birthday greetings to his friends while he was there. Luke had texted his dad at 8.51 p.m. on the evening of the Friday, the 4th of March, the night he went missing, and that was the last he'd heard from him. The text read, I'm going out now, Dad. Come pick me up tomorrow. Hmm. I couldn't... So he was planning to be picked up? He was planning on... Yeah, he was not planning on staying for more than the Friday night. Um, it was his sister's birthday the next day. And I don't know if they had actually planned the celebration for the Sunday originally. Um, but he uh, he obviously didn't, didn't plan to stay until Sunday. He planned to come home. He had mentioned it to his dad. So that just verifies he was planning on going home. Yep. Mm -hmm. So just to fill in a few more blanks. Um, I'll just share this information. One of the boys that was with Luke that night from Kippewa, his father had uh, volunteered to give all three boys a ride to the Sherbrooke street address because their other friend was actually moving in with the young couple that resided there already. And they were moving a mattress and a bed. So he, uh, he had dropped them off and their plan was obviously the one boy would be staying there. The other would be more than likely taking the bus back the next day. And Luke was to meet with his father. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So the boyfriend of the girl whose apartment was at the time, he was the only one in the group who was not formerly known to Luke. Correct. Right. That's right. right. They just met, I believe that night. Right. So he contacted Luke's father, Rob, two weeks after Luke went missing to say Luke was a cool guy down to earth and that he'd had fun with Luke that night. And as far as we know, all three of these boys were interviewed, interrogated, and underwent polygraphs. And we can only speculate that all three passed as no charges were ever laid. So when we speak of the three boys, we're talking about the young man that Luke met that night for the first time and his two childhood friends from Kippewa. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we don't know for sure, right? Right. We never know. <laughs> yeah. 
we can only share what we're trying to paint a picture yeah as ac- as accurately as we can yeah and our new favorite word is allegedly <laughs> <laughs> thanks we don't want to yeah. get in trouble yes yeah. I, I but our goal is to get it out there exactly okay. During every episode, we feature a missing person case from our friends at Please Bring Me Home. The Please Bring Me Home team is made up of various people who possess a wide range of skills and who are committed to raising awareness and keeping missing persons cases in the public eye. Their main objective is to bring closure to the family and friends of missing loved ones across Canada. Hi, my name is Matthew Nopper, and I'm the Director of Operations for Please Bring Me Home. Today I'll be discussing the disappearance of Christina Rhodes. Christina also went by the last name Collins. Christina disappeared on October 18th of 1991. It is believed that she was hitchhiking between Southampton and Hanover, Ontario, in Bruce County in southwest Ontario at the time of her disappearance. Christina was 18 years old, stood 5 foot 7 inches, weighed approximately 150 to 160 pounds, had short curly red hair, and green hazel eyes. Christina's disappearance came during a decade which saw eight people disappear in Graham Bruce counties. This decade began with Neil McDougall in 1985 and ended in 1995 with the disappearance of Misty Murray. Smack dab in the middle, October 18th of 1991, Christina Roach disappeared. However, unlike all of the other seven missing people, including Lisa Moss and Lois Hanna, which disappeared, who disappeared only three years earlier, Christina's case stayed largely out of the press. Very few people outside of her family and friends know that she is still missing, knew that she was still missing. In fact, members of Please Bring Me Home had no idea that Christina Rhodes was a missing person until a family member contacted us a few years ago, asking us, pleading with us, to please look into her case. Since then, we have contacted the appropriate uh, police department, who uh, initially didn't recognize that name as being someone who was missing in, in their area. However, after looking at their files, they noted that they had been contacted about her disappearance and had done an initial investigation. However, it turned up nothing. Christina had vanished without a trace. Christina was an avid hitchhiker. She would often hitchhike between Southampton, Hanover, Walkerton, Port Elgin, and even all the way to Barrie. Christina possibly has a scar on one arm and had a habit of pinning the bottom of her jeans with five pins per leg so they were tight at the bottom, which was the style back then. Somebody certainly does know something about this case. Please, if you have any information, call your local police detachment, Crime Stoppers, or send us a tip on our website at pleasebringmehome.com. Thank you. If you have any information about the disappearance of Christina Rhodes, also known as Christina Collins, please reach out to pleasebringmehome.com. If you have any information about the disappearance of Luke Jolie de Roche, please contact the North Bay Police Service at 705-497-5555. 
You can also submit a tip to Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. That's 1-800-222-TIPS or online at nearnorthcrimestoppers.com. If neither of those options suit you and you have something you would like to or need to share about Luke's story, please consider us as an option. We can be contacted at sheddinglightpodcast at gmail.com. You can call or text us at 437-374-3030. Or you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram or YouTube and message us on any of these platforms. If you're afraid to share what you know, you can remain anonymous. Our podcast can be found at sheddinglight.buzzsprout.com, or you can find us on your favorite podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Deezer, Stitcher, the list goes on. Please subscribe to Shedding Light. You can rate us on your Apple Podcasts, and please consider taking a moment to write a review. It would be much appreciated. I think it's important to note that sometimes what we see may not always paint the accurate picture. The media has always maintained that Luke was turned away from Cecil's because he was intoxicated, but his father strongly believes that his son was not intoxicated. After viewing the video footage several times, he feels that Luke was just having a friendly chat, then decided to leave on his own free will. From his father's observation, he did not appear to be staggering at all and did not appear to be intoxicated. Luke appears to be chatting with a doorman briefly. The doorman then proceeds to open the door for him. He is seen here for a few minutes, then heads west down Main Street out of a camera view. So if I was a bouncer at a bar and this fella, I don't think Luke was a regular there. Like, I think they they came to North Bay, you know, infrequently. I don't believe the bouncer and I think the bouncer has been interviewed actually knew Luke or remembered him because he wasn't a regular. And to me, I would think if I'm a bouncer and I'm bouncing somebody the hell out of a bar, it's going to be something that stands out in my mind. I'm going to remember that was that little bugger. That was that he was wasted. I remember kicking him out. You probably kick out, you know, a few people before midnight. It usually gets, crazier around one o'clock or one thirty in the morning, but at midnight, how many people are you really kicking out of the bar? And I think you'd recall that. So that's just my take on it. That's my opinion. I feel like I, I would remember that. Remember his buddy said he tried to get into the blur and he couldn't get in there because he was too intoxicated. So it really makes you like all four of the boys Sounds like they were, at least his friend was very intoxicated. Well, and his friend admits to it, but he also said he couldn't so tell then you how if did he was get really in? drunk or not. Well, but then how did he get in if he was... Faked it by the time he came across the street and realized I got to pull up my socks or I'm not getting in here either. It's my last chance. It was, those yeah. are the only two bars within walking distance from where they were. So... And I think we can safely say Luke's father, Rob, feels that 
Luke was not intoxicated. And it's not that he's in denial whatsoever because he's acknowledged that, sure, Luke liked to party and drink, and he's certainly not in denial. So when he thinks this, he truly believes that Luke was not intoxicated. I just want to make that point that it's not that, oh, my son would never do that. Well, not it's a, not a question of that. Not intoxicated to the point where he's staggering, slurring, and everything exactly. like that. Like I, mm-hmm. like Susie said, I think a bouncer would remember some asshole trying to get into a bar, you know, pushing their way through. Or be, if you're so intoxicated, you would probably be remembered that night because mm-hmm. I'm sure they go home and go, "You should deal. You should have seen what I had to deal with tonight. Some asshole or whatever." But I think uh, he was just talking to him and decided, "Hey." I don't want to go in here. We've all had a few drinks where you, you're feeling a buzz, but you're not going to get tossed out. So I think, you know, who knows what his tolerance was for alcohol. But regardless, his friend admitted he was pretty hammered and that was big of him to say so. Um, but mm-hmm. I don't think he recalls Luke being so intoxicated that, he, you know, there was no mention of that. And from what we understand, the girls may have gone across the street to blur because that's where the, you know, the boys had tried to get in and the one was turned away. So very well could have been that the girls remained there and the guys went across the street to the bar. They, they were able to get into, right. Mm -hmm. You know, Rob Luke's father mentioned that it looked like Luke was on a mission. Like, you know, if you're a young guy and you're, you're walking into a bar and you're the last in line and your buddies, by the time your buddies are entering and you take a glance around, if it looks lame, he may have thought, Hey man, I want to get out of here. I'm going to go try and go back across the street where the girls are. Check that out. Maybe Mm -hmm. he got a text. Maybe he knew somebody else in town. I believe he went to school there. So maybe he thought he's going to go check out the void. Yeah. There's many times that they don't stay because it may be not their crowd. And I know that you know what, I'm looking for a girl tonight. There's not enough girls in here. Yeah. I, I I think I'll go across the street. I think the boys got a lot of heat um, on social media. Um, Like, how could they do that to their friend? How could they abandon him? How can they leave him? And so I questioned my own son, who's 20 years old. And I said, okay, like legit, if you had quite a few drinks and you were hammered, say you're hammered and you guys go into a bar and there's four of you in line. Uh, you know, how long would it take before he noticed that one of the guys wasn't with you? And he said, I don't, I don't know. And he said, 50, 50, mom, it, it, not always would we worry about it, especially if the guy knew the area, he could have easily just walked across the street. We would have thought we'd meet up with them later. Or if I was so tanked, I probably wouldn't even know. So I said, okay, like, fair enough. I just, uh, girls are maybe different. I don't think girls would separate like that, but apparently, you know, it well, I think it de- with guys. depends on how many are you're going out with, too. If you're just going out with another buddy, of course, you're going to stay with them. But when yeah. it gets two, three, they kind of decide they're going to do their own thing. And like you yeah. said, someone might have got a phone call or a text about, hey, I'm up here. Come see me. You'd never know if there was a girl involved. It could change just like that. And the guys could say, I'm staying here. And mm-hmm. they wouldn't think twice. They Guys like what they like. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They are different beings. Mm-hmm. So there was other video footage from a surveillance camera downtown that confirms that Luke was walking briskly heading west on Main Street. Along with that video, let's not forget the images that could be Luke at the BMO, the Bank of Montreal ATM. 
Unfortunately, the faces of these two male individuals are cut off. So that's, it is unfortunate because it would be nice to see if it in fact was Luke mm -hmm. and who was behind him. It's interesting mm -hmm. because from what I've learned, and I'm, I'm not sure if it's a hundred percent factual, but from what I've heard, when a door opens at a bank inside a vestibule where ATMs are, it will trigger a camera to take a picture. So whether it's a good picture or a bad picture, it'll take a picture of the door. Um, the only other time it will snap another photo is if there's an actual transaction made at the actual ATM. So insert a card and make a transaction. So to our knowledge, there have never been any other photos captured of those two unidentified males, one presumably Luke and the other unidentified at that bank machine. So that kind of makes me think probably what you girls are thinking. And I believe what Luke's dad also believes is that Luke lost his bank card that night. It was later found on Sherbrooke street. Mm -hmm. um, so if he had entered that, that bank machine with all good intentions, so he's not gone into a bar yet. He hasn't had to pay a cover charge. He's not entered anywhere. He hasn't had to take that 20 bucks out of his pocket that he took out earlier but for whatever reason, he's going to grab some more cash. Maybe somebody's with him and he enters this bank machine and he doesn't have his bank card. Mm -hmm. And that's why they didn't get the picture of his face because he couldn't use his bank card. That's yep. what I'm makes thinking. Makes perfect that's, sense, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It does make sense. It does we just want to know who that other person was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, yep. I, I feel like there would be somebody in that vicinity whether it be just inside the door whether it's the bouncer that stood outside for a few seconds maybe after to catch a breath of fresh air whether it was somebody that he mingled with on the sidewalk in front of Cecil's somebody at the pizza shop which I think is just two doors down somebody that remembers seeing him walking into that bank just shortly after midnight there's got to be somebody out there that recalls seeing him walking in there. That's a busy time of night where people are hailing cabs and having cigarettes outside and it's a busy little corner. So I, I'm sure somewhere, somebody out there has seen him. And I think we're pleading with you to reach out. And hopefully they have a photographic memory and remember what the other person looks like. That's the hard part, right? It's so far-fetched but not impossible. That's right. So going back to these confirmed sightings of Luke at the Voyager Inn, which would be about a 20-minute walk if you're walking from downtown at a good pace, it's worth mentioning that Luke is very familiar with the streets of North Bay. He did attend school there at one point, Algonquin, I believe. At 20 years old, with maybe only about $20 that you took out earlier, your choice of walking or grabbing a cab, I would probably think walking would be more affordable for me, especially if it's just yourself. Mm -hmm. So he made it to the Voyager. We know that. Mm -hmm. so but why? That's, that's a good question. Why that's would a young man, 20 years of age, all by himself, walk 20 minutes to the, it's like the other side of town, right? To go to another bar. 
it and remember it was very it was snowing bad it was not great conditions out there so he I had can, to trudge through snow to get to this bar was there someone he was meeting mm-hmm. those are where, my only two thoughts like i can think you know back to the days where i would have a few too many drinks if i was single if there was that one person you were longing to see if you mm-hmm. had a few too many drinks you'd probably almost do anything to try and see them or mm-hmm. you know maybe you had a very important meeting that you had to meet somebody for some reason and mm-hmm. whether his friends were aware of it or not that was another thing i asked my son and and i'm keep referring to him only because he's 20 years old and that's the same he's 21 now it's the same age as luke when he went missing and I, you just have to get your mind in the head of a 20-year-old boy. We're female. So I think we are a little bit different in terms of our relationships with our groups of friends and how we do things. And my son said if he had a girl that maybe his friends weren't fond of or maybe that he hadn't really come out about yet, that maybe he would see her without saying anything to them. So it's it's plausible. It's not impossible, Right. So if he was meeting somebody, then that means police will most likely have text messages on his phone that Luke was meeting somebody, right? Correct. Yeah. So we wouldn't we wouldn't know, obviously, but I'm yeah. they have they have his items that were retrieved from the Sherbrooke Street apartment that night. So they would have accessed his and, phone and all his records and And they can find Anything, anything and everything yeah mm-hmm. deleted <laughs> messages they can find everything yeah so unless he was going to meet somebody in particular up there i don't understand why he wouldn't have just gone back to the sherbrooke street apartment because it was only a couple blocks away right quick and dirty walk there's booze there and the boys are going to be back there soon enough well my i don't thought- think that was his intent my thought is right. he was probably going to a better bar. Maybe he thought there's more happening at the Voyageur. There's more mm-hmm. people my age there. He could have just harmlessly said, you know what? I'm going to have a really good time there. So I'm heading there. Yep. I'll tell you. Because it was only 12. Midnight. midnight. There's not a lot. Like, it sounds sad that I'm in bed by then now. But at midnight back <laughs> in the day, when you I went to a bar, it never started happening until about one o'clock. I didn't go out till midnight. Right. And then so I, he walked in Cecil's and took a glance around and he was eyeballing to look for somebody he was maybe pining to see or maybe somebody he was supposed to meet and that he didn't see that person or got a or, text. Or alternately, maybe he did see somebody he didn't want to see. That's Could true be. too. Ah, think outside the box. Hmm. Very good, Angela. Sometimes, sometimes I give my older sister credit, but not a lot. <laughs> sometimes. Hmm. So if he was seen socializing at the bar. And apparently, he was also seen outside in the parking lot observing a fight. This was at the Voyager. This right? was at the Voyager. And he was also, it was confirmed that he obtained a ride from at least one of the patrons. So, how long did he actually stay at the bar? I'm thinking of this timeline. I'm thinking he was, you know, if it was him at the bank, it's just a couple minutes after midnight. It's a 20 minute walk if he doesn't get mm-hmm. stopped. Say he gets up there by just before 12 30. Are you going to go yep. to a bar for five minutes? But if you're seen mingling inside, you're seen socializing, and you're seen outside watching a fight, I'd love to know what time that fight happened. 
Mm-hmm. I'd love to know who was talking to him that night, who was mm-hmm. socializing, who maybe served him a drink, who maybe chatted with him. Who remembers Absolutely. who was fighting that night? Who was fighting in the parking lot that night? Those don't happen every single night. You've got well, to remember. <laughs> well, during the bar closing time, a lot of fights break out. But, but I wonder if this was closing time, remember. right? Yeah, it could have been. The thing is, so the, getting back to the timeline, how long did he hang out here? Um, and did he jump in with somebody he knew and said, okay, we're going to go back to Sherbrooke Street for what reason? Maybe he was bringing that person back to party with them. He knew his friends were going to be coming home soon. The door was unlocked. So he could have very well been in a vehicle with somebody that he knew and said, let's go back. Doors unlocked. We'll hang out there. Wait till my buddies and the girls get home and what have you. Don't know. I'm just, I'm throwing it out yes. there. Yeah, absolutely. And, but his jacket, his glasses and his cell phone were all found at the apartment on Sunday. Why would you leave these important items at that house once you return there? So you've, he's gone back there. He's gotten there. At what time did he get there? Well, what time did everybody get home from the bar? Well, the young gal and her boyfriend that lived there were the first ones home. And it's from what we've gleaned from it's everybody's recollection. Clear, and <laughs> no, it's not very clear. And I mean, drinking, are you ever really clear? I, I'm not. I mean, if I went mm-hmm. and grabbed pizza, apparently they grabbed pizza after the bar and were the first ones home. And then the one young man found his way back. He said, miraculously, mm-hmm. he figured out, he knew he was only a few blocks and he doesn't even remember how he got there, but he knows he walked back and, and surprisingly enough, made it there. The other two were already there, the couple that resided there. And then he said, slowly, everybody else started to trickle in. Mm-hmm. So you've got to think, you know, between 2.30 and 3, he arrived. So the other two were there prior to that. So if Luke came back there, how long had he stayed at the boy? Like my- I- my problem is if he had his cell phone and glasses left there and went back outside, you wouldn't be going far. Your jacket, right. your cell phone, and your glasses are left there. So you wouldn't be going back to a bar because you would take that. He took it with him all night. You could either go to another party that is very, very close, or maybe someone had a vehicle and they were picking you up. Because mm-hmm. why else would you go without your jacket? Well, it was or a basement apartment. It was a basement apartment. So there would have been two other apartments, the main floor and the upstairs floor in that house from the pictures that we've seen. So maybe there was another party going on on one of the other floors of the apartment building. Absolutely. Because then you would not need your jacket, your phone, or, or your glasses. Yeah. Yeah. You could or a neighboring upstairs. building. Yes. You could head yeah. upstairs and, and join in the facility. Festivities. 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 Did you have a few drinks yourself? I did. (laughs) Thank you. But yeah, it it doesn't make sense that he would just leave that behind unless he was very close to where he was going. His glasses he only wore for using the computer, correct? Yeah. I've cleaned up the downstairs after I've allowed my son to have friends over. And they're just having Mm -hmm. a good time. But you want to ask him the next day if he remembers the actual facts and the timeline of that evening? No. Yeah. Not going to happen. No, it's not. And it's, 
you know, who, I'm sure if they could all go back in time and say, we need to remember exactly what happened because Luke's going to go missing. So would Luke not have had some luggage of some sort, a backpack, a, a duffel bag, a, you know, something with some belongings in it besides his coat and cell phone and glasses? You would think because, but he's not a woman. Us women, we bring our makeup, yeah. we get our hair done and stuff. Guys yeah. can go with the same underwear, same socks and go party, get up. Yeah. Yeah. He was only there overnight. Yeah. I know on social media, there were some um, comments uh, referring to a duffel bag. Yeah. Of course, none of us know. And of course, even his father wouldn't know. You would assume that he may have uh, maybe a backpack or a duffel bag with him. Maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. I, mean, mm-hmm. I watched my son walk out the door and say, I'm staying at so-and-so's tonight. See you tomorrow, Ma. And he never takes anything with him. He just gets up in the morning and comes home. So if there was something mm-hmm. in a backpack, what would you find? So, what would you find? And especially if Luke thought he was getting picked up by his dad the next day and going, go home, shower, mm-hmm. get ready for his sister's party. So he may have thought, I'm going to be here, what? 10 hours. If you did bring a backpack, what would be so important in it? I mean, it wasn't a laptop because he borrowed his friend's computer to send birthday wishes. So we know it wasn't anything like that. So we're speculating, obviously, when Mm -hmm. we, we, we say if he brought a, a bag or a duffel bag or a backpack, but maybe there's somebody in the public that knows that saw him that night with something. Maybe Mm -hmm. somebody saw him with a backpack or an item, or maybe one of the kids that was with him that night remembers a backpack or a bag, one of the boys that he drove with. We never discussed that with them. So we ask now the public, if anybody out there knows staff from the Voy or regulars, if you think you were there that night and witnessed a fight, if you think you saw Luke, you know, if there's a little tidbit that can help put all the puzzle pieces together. If you've spoken to the police and given a full statement, they have it. But if you haven't, then please reach out and share because it's coming on 10 years and it's time for answers. Also, were, were you the one at the BMO? Were you the one at the BMO behind Luke? Do you remember mm-hmm. this? kid in front of you and not being able to use a bank machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that and I might think be you know, he had braces and it's not too often you see a 20 year old boy with braces. And, and I think even a purple belt to me would stand out at any, even 10 years ago, a purple belt would stand out to me. Yeah. And he was a smiley guy. So uh, a nice looking jacket like that, that he was wearing like that American Eagle kind of, I don't know what you call them. It's like, like, like a pea coat, like a pea coat. Yeah. Yeah. Nice looking. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think I wouldn't, I would remember speaking to somebody with braces on their teeth. It's not, you mm-hmm. just don't see it every day. And he has a beautiful smile regardless oh, of the braces and yeah. eyes and eyelashes. Oh my God. Oh yeah. <laughs> handsome little bugger. He was very, very handsome. Yeah. And I sometimes wonder if this case didn't get her, doesn't get the attention it should, because he is a 20 year old boy. Right. And sometimes I don't know. Sometimes those cases are treated differently than a younger female. Do people think, oh, he was just a young guy. Maybe, you know, maybe it didn't get the attention in the beginning, in the beginning. Mm-hmm. That's maybe what I he thought. Ran off. Maybe he ran off. Maybe, you know, well, because like he's an adult, said. he's not yeah. a child. And he's right? also a man. If it was a woman, maybe they would have reacted faster, but a guy, they thought they think, you know, Hey, no. he can take care of his own, but no, right. that's not the case. And a mother knows. 
The mother mm-hmm. did the right thing. She went in. She knew right away something's that mother's missed. instinct, right? Like yes. I, I still do it. I think ever since we started this podcast, I'm like a bit of a freak. And every time my my son went away last weekend for an overnight out of town to a different city. And I said, make sure you call me when you get there, at least text me. And he's like, Oh my God, mom, I'm not going anywhere. I'm like with so-and-so and so-and-so. I said, it doesn't matter. I said, look at the case we're doing right now. And then he just kind of rolled his eyes, but guess who, what, who I got a text from like a couple hours later, we got here safe. I love you. And I'm like, okay, thank you. Because I said, you don't ever know. You don't know. I always mm-hmm. do that. And if they don't get back to me, I go, so I guess you made it. And then I go, sorry, mom. Yes, we made it. I just want to know. I just want to know. Can't help it. We're moms. We just want to know. So please join us for episode two as we discuss the investigation and some of the theories regarding Luke's disappearance. The phone.